You guys know I'm always talking about tracking my money. You can't manage what you don't measure. And I use a paid app to do that because I'm kind of crazy. But when I talk to you guys, my readers and my listeners, you want a free solution. You want something that links to your personal accounts and tracks your net worth. You want something that has analysis tools and a personalized plan for you. And you want real wealth management advice. The free answer is personal capital. Personal capital is an awesome tool, and it is hard to believe that it's free. And the world agrees. Year after year, personal capital is recognized as a best-in-class budgeting and tracking tool. And that's why I feel good about being affiliated with them. So if you want to start getting your finances in order, and you want to do it for free, start with personal capital. Here's how. Go to the show notes, click on that link, and let them know that the best interest sent you, and start your free account today. That's personal capital, your all-in-one free personal finance tool. Welcome to the Best Interest Podcast, hosted by Jesse Kramer, where we discuss today's best ideas in personal finance and investing. The Best Interest is a personal podcast meant for entertainment purposes only. It should not be taken as financial advice and is not prescriptive of your financial situation. Here's your host, Jesse Kramer. Hey guys, what is up? Welcome to episode 24 of the Best Interest Podcast. I am Jesse Kramer. Today's guest is an interesting guy because up until a month ago, he was a public school teacher, but he retired from that job and in his 40s, no less, because he's found a new niche, online content creation. And the peculiar thing is, his online presence is an anonymous persona. For his own privacy's sake, he doesn't disclose his identity in public. It's pretty interesting. And now, I've had offline conversations with him. He's very real. And the material he discusses is also very real. He's not catfishing us. Trust me on that. I really enjoyed this conversation as we dipped and dived our way from public education to financial education to retiring early. We even touched on classical music and so many things in between. So I hope you all enjoy. My guest today is an entrepreneur and social media maven who goes by the moniker, The Art of Purpose, or AOP. He has a one-of-a-kind social brand, combining pithy comments with images of classical art. And he's turned that brand into a small business where he guides others through the often confusing landscape of growing an online social media presence. Of course, some of those pithy comments have to deal with personal finance and investing, and we'll be sure to get into those ideas today, too. So, AOP, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. I'm going to need to look up some of those words that you were just saying right now, but I am doing fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. I, oh my God. I hope that's a compliment. Thanks for having me on tonight. You're Thank welcome. you for having me on. You're welcome. Thank you for being here. It's a great compliment, especially when it comes to Twitter. It means, you know, sharp, succinct, to the point, edgy, catches the audience. It's a great, it's a great word that I think describes your content really well. Um, Appreciate it. <laughs> I was hoping you wouldn't mind starting with giving us a little bit of your, your life's elevator story, or at least maybe talking about some of the recent few years of where you've been building this business, AOP, and where you came from, how you got to where you are now, and really what you see for the next few years. Well, I really haven't been building the Twitter business very long, maybe like 12, 14 months at the most. And if we go back just a little bit beforehand, I'm basically a ex-fire guy who got really into the whole fire movement about 2012. And then from there, deep dive into like how to invest properly all of the you know the great um you know conservative investments that the fire movement talks about and proclaims and then i started to begin to do some side hustles where i then learned about investing and then i had a problem of you know almost like doing too well you know my wife and i got really into saving and investing And when COVID hit, it kind of was like a lot of things converging on at once, which I'm sure a lot of people 
had that same feeling as well. But when COVID hit, I've been a public school teacher for close to 20 years, and I just left the classroom because I started a Twitter account back in May where I started to talk about personal finance, but really I talk about whatever I want these days. And through that, it was able to generate enough income to surpass my teacher salary and and even more that so that I walked out of the classroom actually literally just a few weeks ago in June. <laughs> so we're going to come, I've got like uh, five questions already lined up for you on that. That's it. All right. So, so you started yeah. the Twitter account, you said back in May, but that's, that's May, 2020, right? So that's where that 14 month timeline comes in. Pretty much. I've been right? at this for 14 months. That's correct. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you started as a fire guy. So for those who don't know, I assume you mean financial independence, early retirement. Is that correct? R- retire early. Yes. Retire early. So yeah. Um, you know, the fire movement, and this is how I got started. It's like Mr. Money Mustache and all the guys. One day I was just browsing the web and I came across a few of these financial blockers back in 2012. And I started learning about, because I, I started to get into, I had a net worth of zero. All right. And I woke up one day and was literally like, I am tired of being broke. I want to start beginning some journey towards something i want to start building and investing so i i came across mr money mustache and those fire guys and sat down one weekend and completely educated myself on how uh how index funds work how etfs work how mutual funds work and 401ks all of those things and it was kind of like an eye-opening thing to me because i came from a background of this very blue uh, blue collar didn't really care about any of those things didn't really care about stocks or investments and sat down one week and just completely deep dived, researched everything about it, and started my journey. Really, uh, that next Monday that that came up, I started. I opened up a Vanguard account and started to begin to take money and begin to save it for the future. And those were good times. Like you know, those investments did very well. I mean, you can see how the stock market's done in the past eight nine years, right? Obviously, and it became a little bit of a game for me. Me and my wife just got so into it. It's like, well, if we cut our expenses down, and since we're both teachers, we had options to invest in our 403B and 457 at the same time, right? Little known fact is that Mm -hmm. you actually get double the limits when you're a government employee. So we were basically legally paying 0% in taxes for years while building our accounts. And I know some people might be like, whoa, that's pretty terrible. But you know, if you have, if you're, if you're, you and your wife are both teachers, you have 403B, 457 and IRA options, you can pretty much get, you know, 72, $75,000 a year sheltered away tax-free because you're basically, you know, you're, you're, you're um, kind of finagling the money to make it look like your gross income is a lot lower. And that's what we did. Right. Right. And, and there's nothing, I mean, the tax law is written for people to do that. There's nothing wrong with doing that. Um, you guys will end up paying some taxes on that when you're 59 and a half or older and you end up withdrawing that money, right? You get Right, it. yeah, it's- but a, a, well, not really because a 457, since mm-hmm. I just left my job, you can withdraw that penalty-free at any age, okay? So that's a little known fact. There's, a, there's 457s, there's no penalties on 457s. Now, yes, you do have to pay taxes, but right. you're in control with the amount of money that you can, you can, it's a lot to, you know, if you need a certain amount, you can withdraw and, and you can keep yourself in a certain bracket if you'd like. Yeah, that makes sense. By cutting that expenses, right? Yep, yep, exactly, exactly. And so it's parallel in some ways to maybe the 401ks or the IRAs that some of the listeners might be more familiar with if they aren't public employees. Where a 403b is a 401k, pretty much exactly. Okay? A, exactly. A 457 is another type of fund that allows you to withdraw when you leave your job, you don't have to wait until you're 59 and a half. And only certain government employees have access to these 457s. And they're ba- if you if you have a job that has a 457, it's from right then and there, it's one of the best benefits that you can have. Mm-hmm. Especially mm-hmm. if you ever want to leave and become an entrepreneur in the future. Right. That's very nice. That's very nice. It's your now, emergency fund, really. 
Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. Can I can I ask you though, if you let you left teaching now, it's you retired just now in June. Uh, mm-hmm. My assumption is, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you probably aren't at full pension. But I'm, I'm just wondering, does your state no. where you are teaching, do they offer pensions? And how far along in that pension are you? And what exactly are you giving up by by retiring early from your teaching job? Okay, this is a great question because I get a lot of hate on the timeline because I'm a former <laughs> teacher. They must think I'm like out there indoctrinating. I'm not like that anyway. So um, as far as the pension goes, I can get my pension, but I must wait until I'm 65, okay? These are the rules for when I signed up. It changed, like depends on when you became a teacher. Gotcha. But when I'm 65, I can get my pension. Now check this out. Texas, I cannot get any money from Social Security if I get my pension now, okay? So huh. there's, a, there's a weird rule in text, like a Texas teachers don't pay into Social Security. It's a little known fact, all right? Ah, uh, so, okay. Okay. They, so if you collect your pension, you can't get Social Security. So what probably is going to happen for me is I'm going to take the money from my pension and roll it into my 43B and just let it hang out and do its thing and then be able to collect Social Security later on in life. I'm going to be at the stage where I hopefully don't even really care about Social Security anyway. So um, I'm not saying that like in a bragging way. I'm just saying like, you know, Social Security is for emergencies, really. In yeah. my opinion. Yeah, uh, agreed. And, and my personal retirement planning stance, and I'm only 31. I've got a lot of uh, years ahead of me, and maybe I'm a young buck and I'm, I'm taking certain things for granted, but I'm not counting on Social Security in my plans. I do think it will be there. I think some people yeah. right now might be predicting that Social Security is going to dry up by the time we're retired. I don't think our legislators can afford to make that happen. It, I think social security will still be around. It'll just be in a slightly different form than it is right now. And that said, I'm going to, what do they say? Uh, hope for the best plan for the worst. I'm planning for the idea that it might not be around and I'll still be okay. I'm relying on myself for that. It sounds like you're doing something similar. Absolutely. I think that's the wise way to approach it. If it's there, that's excellent. If it's right. not, well, then I have other stuff going on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that's perfect. Um, AOP, I know some people right now, they're probably asking, they're probably screaming into the speakers, wondering why I haven't asked this earlier. Because you were a teacher, you've been a teacher for 20 years, you start a Twitter account last May of 2020. And in the next 14 months, you grow a Twitter account. Not only do you gain followers, but somehow you've monetized this Twitter account to the point where it's actually replacing your teacher's income. So can you talk yeah. us through a little bit about what, what exactly maybe the business model is and where the income is coming from and, and how that all works? All right, so a lot of people don't realize there are many different ways to make money you know, on Twitter itself. And Twitter is, I guess, what we're talking about right now specifically. So let me hone in on some of the ways that you can make money from a Twitter account. One is you could sell services while you're online. So maybe you can help write emails, email workflows, maybe you write landing page, maybe you create landing pages, maybe you create websites for other entrepreneurs, maybe you create Twitter banners. You provide services in some way, okay? You have some kind of offer, you sell it. It's a nice little side hustle that you can do if you're just starting and you wanted to get things going. The other way that you could do it is by actually selling courses. So maybe if you have some kind of financial background, maybe you can write a guide to budgeting. You can sell it online, you know, maybe sell it for five, 10 bucks or Millennial Money Woman just came out with a book, right? Which is phenomenal. And I believe it's something like $20, you can sell those. It's another stream of income that's coming in. I sold the course Create 24 seven, which sold over 1000 copies and had has done very well. It's one of the top courses on Gumroad. And so you can sell a course. The other way that you can use Twitter is a way, is, is, is kind of like a funnel. It's gonna drive traffic to another website. So let's say that you're a blogger, right? You can use Twitter as a way to bring awareness to your websites. And then when they come to your website, you're gonna collect ad revenue, you're gonna sell affiliate products, you know, products that you love. And you're going to use your Twitter account to help bring traffic as your blogger, podcast, whatever, kind of like the way that you do it, right? And then the, another way that you can do it is um, 
You can sell consulting services. I know a few guys on Twitter who are very financially savvy that put together offers where you know they help people take control of their finances, they consult, or they're mindset people and they help coaching with mindset or dating or whatever. So there's a, it's not what I do, but you can put together offers and be a consultant or five. Another way of doing it is through actual promotion of the web of your Twitter account itself by helping other people build and help them grow their accounts. You have clients that are like, Hey, I want to, you know, do this itself. So you're, you're helping them grow. You can promote other accounts or even advertisements kind of like on your Twitter page. There's actual websites that are out there that will help you like, if you have a big enough account, they'll, it's kind of like an agency, I guess, that will help you find and get other, you know, and, and you can monetize your account by helping promote products or uh, other accounts to grow themselves. Right, right. So all of that, if I combine kind of all those uh, points you just made, my inclination, and at least the way I thought about Twitter, say, a year ago, a year and a half ago, I thought Twitter was a collection of celebrities and athletes and musicians and a bunch of normal people. And the normal people, they follow the celebrities, they catch up on whatever the celebrities are doing. Maybe normal people follow news organizations or their favorite sports teams. Okay, you follow along with what your favorite sports team is doing. But what you've just presented and what maybe a lot of listeners don't realize is that there are people who are essentially running businesses on Twitter. And there's this whole business ecosystem on Twitter. So some people, they want to make their Twitter account bigger for the sake of their business. How do they make their Twitter account bigger? Well, they might come to you, Art of Purpose, because you've got a course, you've got a book on how to make your Twitter account bigger, how to write tweets, how to engage with people, those kinds of things. It's a whole business ecosystem out there. Yes, we help bring awareness to what the potential and the possibilities are on Twitter. Mm Mm-hmm. And a few things you mentioned, I just thought I'd point out to listeners. So you mentioned uh, the millennial money woman, Fiona, just wrote a book Mm -hmm. and she was on the podcast. I think she was on episode 13, but if anyone's interested in hearing Fiona speak, she's an amazing speaker with a great message on personal finance and investing. And she was here on the Best Interest Podcast. And you also mentioned one thing that I thought I would define. You, You talked about gum road which has been brought up once or twice here on the podcast before, but uh, my understanding of Gumroad is it's a, a website that will host your digital products. And it's, it's really a marketplace so that people can, can come in and buy your digital products uh, so that it gives you a place to sell, whether it's a book or a course or a membership or music. Does, does that accurately capture Gumroad? It does. And it's probably the most trusted server. So a lot of people use it. You know, but you can sell these products on your own website if you'd like. I know many people, so they're, they're really, you know, people trust it because it, it hosts so many big creators' products. But, you know, there's nothing stopping me from putting my own courses on my actually my actual own website. So. Gotcha. Okay. And, and I, I'll ma- I understand what you mean. I'll make sure to put some links in the show notes, uh, AOP, for anyone who's interested. But that was, so Create 24-7, that's the name of, of your uh, course is that right? Right. And then you also mentioned yes. in there, I think, was it Masterclass? Is the name of uh, is that more of like an ongoing educational program? So the course that we wrote on how to grow your Twitter. So here's what people need to know: if you want to start making money online, you need to start growing. You need to have an audience that is engaged and enjoys your content. And the course Create Twenty Four Seven helps people tap into their creative instincts and find out what kind of materials work on Twitter, how to come up with tweets, how to come up with ideas, how to make your tweets look, how to, you know, give you ideas for like templates that you can use to use future tweets and how to put all of your content out there in an effective manner that's going to help you build an audience. And then potentially you can use it to drive traffic, sell services or, or sell products yourself in the future. Our course got so popular, right? Because a little, another known thing is that Twitter is a networking, right? Twitter is a networking platform. Like, you know, we found each other on Twitter and, you know, so many people, you run into people on Twitter, you get to know them, you make a lot of friends. Twitter is best when you're actually networking, connecting with people and making connections. 
And in my course, I talk about how to network. So in my networking modules, I talk about it and people were like, hey, you need to form your own community, your own group. There's other communities out there, but we don't like them at all. <laughs> and we're in there and you talk about how to network. You know how to network. Can you build a community? And for months, I was like, nope, I'm not building a community. No way, no, no way. I'm just not doing it. And finally, I caved in around March or early April and said, okay, fine, we're going to build a community. And now we have over 200 members in our masterclass community, which is kind of a community based around the course. So if you have any questions for like, how do I need, how do I put my profile together? How do I put my bio together? Does it look good? Are my tweets looking good? I need some feedback on tweets. We even do ghost writing sessions with professional writers where you can submit drafts and we give you feedback on these tweets. And it's really good for people to get started and really great for people who have been around for a while. So you get to meet a lot of people. We have webinars twice a month with some of the biggest names in social media. Masterclass is literally a community where we network, we meet people, and we all learn from each other. That sounds awesome. So let's say if I were if I were new to Twitter and I wanted maybe I want to turn it into a side hustle to make some extra income in some little way, or maybe I've got a small business and I want to raise awareness for my small business. Would you suggest someone starts with create 24-7? And then from there joins the masterclass or I'm just, how should someone maybe differentiate between the two products? Well, really like the best way is to get in masterclass because we give you a discount to create 24 seven. So <laughs> gotcha. if you come into masterclass, that's pretty good. A lot of people will come into masterclass and get the course. It really works out. But if you just want to get a taste of what's going on and if you're wanting, and if you're starting from zero and you just want to take it on, on your own, just get the course. Like I, it, it has guides in there for people who are starting literally from zero followers. I created a brand new account just to go through the motions of learning and building an account from zero followers. So if you're brand new and you don't know where to get started, Create 24-7 really is the best place to start. And if you want some people to help you out and join a community on the side, if you want to get in masterclass as well, hop in. We'd love to have you there. Cool. Very cool. And yeah, so listeners, I will make sure to get some links from AOP and put them in the show notes if anyone's interested. Uh, AOP, let's switch back over to maybe some more personal finance and investing stuff, because I do want to pick your brain since you've really been thinking about FIRE for you know the last 10 years. One thing that I'm interested in is getting into schools a little bit, helping to teach there. Both my parents were actually teachers. Uh, right. But when you were a teacher, what did you see in terms of financial education in the schools? And if you could, what would you change about what you saw there? Yeah, I was just asked this. I was in another interview this morning, was asked the same question. <laughs> okay. And I just think that people have just no idea what's going on in the schools right now. This, schools are an absolute mess. They are in such bad condition that I don't even know if that you like, I, I get it that personal finance and finance and entrepreneurship, these things are, should be taught, but schools are in such a, a fundamentally bad position right now. They can't even get the basics right. So the, the problem with our schools and public schools are really societal problems that are starting at home. And, you know, that's why I had a, a viral tweet that had something like 20,000 likes. If I had one piece of advice for you, it's to homeschool your kids. Mm. And the, the public school situation right now is dire. Um, it's worse than people can imagine. And we need to, there, there, there's, the problems aren't just like, hey, we need to tweak a few classes and introduce this curriculum. It's far beyond that. So you're saying it's, it's just a problem of, now I don't want people to take this the wrong way and say that I'm pointing the finger at 13 year olds. That's not my intention here. No, but it, no, is in it, fact, it's, it's just the it's, opposite. It's probably at the, is it at the parents to somewhat pointing at them? Oh, or it's, just, just a, it's just a, it's a societal problem. Societal problem. It, what, what you're asking for the schools is, is absolutely ridiculous. Right. You're asking them to be the parents you're, you're putting in. None of it is possible. And the people that are coming in, they're coming from broken families. It's, mm -hmm. it's quite sad what's going on in our schools right now. And 
it goes, I just think people are like, they, I get questions like this all the time. AOP, what would be this magic pill that you can give the schools and fix it one tweak? Or there's no one tweak. The, 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 the problems with our schools come from a, a problem in our society. The schools are messed up because our society's messed up. Might not be the right question for this podcast, but okay, yeah. let's, let's say, you know, I mean, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. This is great. This is where the, the this is where the gravy's yeah. going to be, man. Um, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, is this, is this, is, are these pithy comments? Is that yeah. what you were talking about? <laughs> or what? They are. They really are. Um, Very good. I mean, you know, so what, how could we, how could we change society? Are we talking, is it a matter of I don't, teaching people? Is it personal responsibility? Is it, yes, is it, it is personal responsibility. Yeah. you know, is, is that kind of what it comes yeah. down to the ability to our kids? having trouble sitting through a 45 minute class because they're staring at their phones? Is it, are they talking back to teachers and telling them to go screw themselves? Well, is it, I don't really blame the kids, right? Right. So understood. Problem, understood. Yeah. So the problem is, is the fundamental lack of responsibility taken by the adults in the society. Yeah. And I talk about a lot about that on my personal timeline. I don't, I don't know what your audience, how they think. I don't really know, mm-hmm. but I talk a lot about taking personal responsibility. If you don't take the first step of taking personal responsibility, um, you're never going to make it, okay? You're not gonna make it, all right? If you don't feel like you have complete control of your destiny and your future, and then you can make a difference with your personal finances, you've basically given up on life in a way. And I think you have just a large percentage of adults that think like that. I can't turn my finances around. I can't do this. I can't, I don't have control over my, you know, life or how I feel or any of these things. And when they feel like they have a lack of no control over their destiny, they basically give up. And then you have a lot of their kids coming into the school and they, the parents aren't doing any of their job at home. They basically just punt their duties to the teachers and it just creates an environment where teachers can't teachers can't do all of it. Most of them are ill-equipped in the first place to be able to do something like that. Our, our, our society has, you know, as far as public schools go, it, it, if we start to fix the problems at, at home and societal problems, I think then we'll see better schools, right? Like you need to go to the root cause. Yeah, agreed. Uh, 100% agreed. As I mentioned earlier, you know, both my parents were uh, public school teachers for 30, 30 odd years in rural, rural upstate New York, where, you know, some parts of, you know, some of the suburbs up here are nice, but they did not teach in in nice suburbs by any means. And I think they mentioned to me a couple of times that over the course of their careers, they saw a shift and you can call them boomers. You can say that, you know, every person as they get older hearkens for the good old days. But if I, you know, throw away those comments, they saw a shift amongst uh, uh, basically the way that the kids were being raised and how prepared the kids came into their classroom and how, you know, there was a time when if you told a parent, Johnny's not doing his homework, you could tell that the parent was going to go home and punish Johnny. And by the end of the career, their careers, there were times when they said, Johnny's not doing their homework. And the parent would look at my parents, the teachers and say, well, what are you going to do about that? My parents are saying, right, there's, there's no account. There's no right. who's accountable. Right. 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 And, and, and at the same time, it's just and I wrote a long thread on this about what's going on in the public schools. It's just basically a one. It's like a pass. It's a giant pass the buck. It's like, let's just graduate the kids to the next level so that we don't have to so that we can just get them out of our hair. There's no education and learning is not anywhere in the mix for what the point of going to it's basically a giant babysitting center right now so um you know i almost feel like i teach more on my timeline than i actually did as a public school educator Hmm. do you think um so outside of homeschooling i mean were there schools it sounds like you were a public school, right? Public school, right? Not private school. You, yes. you taught at a public school. I mean, were there any other, whether it was private schools or I'm thinking of like Montessori schools. I mean, were there any yeah. solutions out there that you saw that seemed better than at least the, the school that you taught at? I was, I, bro- I was brought up in private schools my life. Okay? okay. So I went to private school and I think private schools are a good option. 
I don't think they're bad. You may have a good public school. Like you may live in a community where the public schools are very good. I don't think most people do, <laughs> mm-hmm. but you may live in one where the public schools are good. By all means, if you know what's going on in your schools and you know what your children are being taught, then, then and you feel comfortable with it, you're probably making the right decision. But for most people, I think homeschooling is the best option. Um, homeschooling, private school, or I think it's worth moving. I think it's worth moving to a a, a a decent area just to have access to schools that are good. So, yeah. I mean, at least around where I live here in, in Rochester, New York now, it is a big pull. By it, I mean school districts, the quality of school districts. Everybody locally knows which schools are good, which schools are okay, and which schools are bad. Yeah. And when looking for real estate and when looking at the real estate market, you can tell which school districts are best simply because that's where the houses are most expensive because those are the ones in highest demand. So parents around here know at least, and I'm sure that's true of of many other places where our listeners are. All right, AOP. So as an entrepreneur, and and now that you're a business owner, so you're not collecting a paycheck from the school, now essentially you're collecting your, your own paycheck. How have your views on the world of money changed, you know, in that, well, in this 14 months? Well, it's hard to pinpoint like one particular idea, but I'm more open to the, uh, to the fact that there are many ways to become financially independent, where before I used to believe that, well, you go out, you get the college degree, you get the nine to five, you save, be prudent, you'll get your rewards. It's that easy. But I have much more of a respect for all different kinds of entrepreneurs and people who are pursuing the path to financial independence in many different ways. At the end of the day, it just matters that you, you know, raise your net worth, generate some cash flow and, you know, become cognizant over how much you're spending and how much you're earning. Right. So you're saying, I mean, if you had to go back and do it all over again, would you have taken the same path of college education, I assume master's degree, if you're a teacher, and then, right. and then, you know, working that nine to five teaching job for 20 years, or if you could go back, do you think you would have maybe taken a different, a different course from the get go? Well, knowing what I know now, it would be, I mean, it would be a breeze to, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So obviously, yeah. So you, you would have gone back and you would have invented Twitter if you could. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, there, I don't like playing that game because yeah, life they, is about, you know, it's just, you know, a lot of times I get asked, would you change anything about your life? And the answer is no. Right. But, I mean, you know, it's all about, because that the whole question itself is kind of, it's flawed. It's like, you know, what is, what is really cool is getting the bumps and bruises, getting the scrapes and learning on your own, right? Sometimes you need to go through it and, and, and going through the journey of, you know, building wealth and building a business. It's, I look back at it and go like, wow, we did some like really cool things. We met some really cool people along the way. And then, you know, it was just a good journey as opposed to just like sitting there and, and wasting years of our life we actually invested in our future and, and bet on ourselves. And it's just something that you have to do and experience and you have to take action and there's no other, you know, so yeah, I mean, I guess I could have done it a lot quicker, but (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, I, I basically retired at age 40. So, I mean, I guess, you know, people have done it sooner than myself. So (laughs) hats off to them. (laughs) Still, that sounds pretty good to me. Um, And I think you remind me of something it's cited a lot in either happiness research, or it might be some of the behavioral economics guys, but they cite this study where they asked a bunch of people to basically, you know, tell us about your path in life and tell us about all your problems. And then we're going to go around the room and we're going to talk about everybody else's path in life and all of their problems. And then we're going to ask you at the end, would you want to trade your path and your problems with anybody else in the room? And more often than not, we want to take our own problems back, if that makes sense. Yeah. We, do, we don't want to trade our own problems because it's the kind of thing, it's, it was experiences for us. It's problems that maybe we were used to or we grew from or we know how to handle. And uh, you know, just because you could go back in time and invent Twitter doesn't mean that you wouldn't have had other hardships in life to, to get <laughs> to this point. So that's uh, very understandable. I wouldn't trade a thing. So, so now do you see, I mean, I assume you're, 
you're probably getting a little more money from the side hustle, or at least you're projecting to get more money now from the art of purpose business than you did as a teacher. Have your spending habits changed? Do you find yourself more willing to reinvest things into the business? Anything like that? Um, I think that my, my savings rate is like off of the chart. One of the cool things about working a nine to five and having a side business that takes up a lot of your time is that you won't have time to spend any money. You'll just be like, <laughs> it's like one of the best buy and hold strategies ever. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> it's be so busy that you think like, oh, should I sell or do, or should I spend this? Um, has my spending habits changed? Yes, I do. I, I have over a seven figure net worth. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. So once I actually hit that, so I was very hardcore. Like my, one of the first things that I did was when I wanted to gain wealth, I used to have this, uh, I had a Mustang convertible GT back in 2012, 2013. And I started to get really into all of the personal finance part. And I was like, wait a second, I had this car it's just way too expensive i sold it and i traded it in for a nissan leaf okay and my justification was this if if i have a net worth of close to zero why should i be driving a car like this so i took extreme measures to cut my expenses down and i mean that's really like if you're going to go do this go all in okay and once I hit a seven figure net worth, I decided to treat myself and I bought myself a Toyota RAV4 brand new. So, you know, I guess I do spend more money now. Um, I live very comfortably, you would say, but I don't, I don't, I try not to get joy from consuming goods. You know what I mean by that? Absolutely. I try to find joy, like in the, in the simple things in life, like spending time with my family, creating art. Um, talking with people, network, networking with people, going on podcasts, like all of this is fun to me. It's a lot more fun than buying myself some new shiny object or sitting down in front of a TV and watching Netflix or some boring show for six hours in a row. Cause they're all boring, really, honestly. At the end of the day, they are. Now, a few things there I wanted to touch on the story of having an expensive car and then finding out about fire and selling it. That is just like yeah. the story of our mutual friend, Steve Adcock. And uh, oh yeah, it is here on, my buddy. Uh, yeah. he was here on episode 16 of the best interest podcast, telling us the story about his car and his motorcycle and walking out into the garage one day and looking at the stuff out there and saying, I need to change. I need to get rid of this stuff. Um, exactly what I did. I mean, it, it's a great turning point. It's an important turning point, really, for anyone looking to turn that corner in, on their journey to, to financial independence. Um, now, great minds think alike. I, too, drive a Toyota RAV4. I'm, I'm along with, I'm sure, like four other million people here in the U.S., but yeah. great quality car. I did want to touch on one thing, AOP. You mentioned not finding fulfillment or, or essentially avoiding consumerism because you don't find fulfillment in consumerism in consumer purchases. And A, uh, you're not alone there, right? That's backed up by well-proven psychological research that I've cited in my, in my writing a few times that simply put, people don't get joy from buying stuff, at least for themselves. They don't. They don't. Their hedonistic, hedonistic adaptation is a real thing. Right. So. Totally. Um, yeah. you know, people do get joy from, from buying goods for other people, from buying experiences like going on trips or, or taking your kids to the movies, uh, giving to charity, but, but buying consumer goods for yourself is like, you, you just mentioned, right? The hedonic treadmill. You're always going to be chasing that next thing that you want to buy. The next thing you know, you're going to be broke. Right. I buy things for a reason. That doesn't mean I, I'm not much of a penny pincher these days anymore. So like if I see a nice shirt and I like it, I buy it. Okay. But I don't sit there and think like, I need to get this one particular thing. It's going to make me so happy. Like I need this new Xbox or PS5 so that I can go out and play this game. I don't, I just don't think like that. Uh, to me, life is much more fun to actually like, like I'd rather play the video game of life than some, you know, 60, $70 or like $500 box that's going to create this virtual reality. Like why spend my time doing that? It seems like a time sink 
as opposed to like actually like get out there and build a business, like view life as a game, level up in it, you know? Yeah, it's amazing. You're definitely not the first person to, to mention that. I'm trying to think of who I was just talking to last week. Oh, I know who it was. It was Dan Coe. It was Dan Coe mentioned gamifying oh, yeah. life and setting goals for yourself, just like you might set levels in a game. Uh, I played a lot of games growing up as a kid. I don't play a lot of games anymore, but I do look back on those days of playing games, whether it's board games, card games, video games, and, and thinking having that gamer mindset of, you know, level up, build something new, uh, grow whatever you're doing, grow your character in the game. Well, now I'm growing my blog and my small business on the side. And I'm getting that same kind of feedback that I did from the game. And I think it's a lot of fun. I think if those games have one, you know, good point, I think everybody should play them maybe like once in their life, sit down and like understand that what you do, like take a quest, right? And you go take the quest, you gain experience, and then your character levels up in the, the particular attributes that the quest helped them level up in. So just think of life the same way. Whatever adventures that you decide to take and embark on, you're going to see some kind of direct benefit in return. Do you have any ideas what the next level of the art of purpose is going to be? We're going to probably, what we're going to do is we're going to focus a bit on masterclass in the future, our, our community, and we're actually coming up with free courses and free materials for masterclass themselves. So I think sometime this weekend or next week, we're going to release just a really cool quirky book for the masterclass community. And, you know, it's going to be available for purchase and, probably like farther down the road, well, we will release some kind of courses or materials on how to accumulate wealth, how we talk about wealth and how, you know, we might do something in the personal finance uh, genre in the future. I'm not, I'm not ruling that out. Very cool. I'm excited to see what's happening. Yeah. The personal finance side, especially. Um, now, AOP, before we go into the rapid fire questions at the end. I did have a real quick art question for you and yeah. you can take it or leave it. Obviously we can, we can edit this out if need be. But for the average listener who perhaps has never gone to a, muse a museum or never, never has paused to consider art in their lives, what would you say to them or what might you suggest they do to dip their toe in the world of art? Because art is such a center uh, pillar of your, of your brand. Well, really, all they need to do is, is start listening and watching it. So if you're interested in learning more about, I mean, it, there, there really is no barrier. Like if you want to learn about classical music, hop on Spotify, start listening to Mozart, right? There's there's nothing out there that's stopping you from doing it. Um, you know, take in mind that art created 200, 300 years ago was for definitely different purposes for than today, you know, stuff that you hear on the radio. I don't listen to music with words. Okay. That's just okay. a personal thing that I don't do. It's just programming to me. So music with words and, you know, stuff that you hear on the radio, it's just there to be catchy and it's, it's consumable. It's just a cons another form of a consumable product. It's there to stick in your mind. So it gets in your mind and then you want to keep listening to it again and that station again. So really, if you want to listen to like art that has like a purpose and like connects and like tries to convey some really great ideas, start listening to classical music, start listening to some of the greats. I mean, it's not hard. Go out there and 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 start to uh, consume and consume uh, art that actually has some meaning behind it. Like, you know, if you listen to Beethoven. Or, you know, you, you have to think about it. their lives are so memorable and so great. Like he wrote his last five symphonies while he was partially deaf or completely deaf at the time. Like there was something behind his music, you know, like his sixth symphony is about getting out in nature and the beauty of nature. So when you listen to his music, you're reminded about the beauty of the world and you know, that's not something you're going to get when you turn on your typical radio station or listen to like the music that's promoted on Spotify. The classical music or fine art is going to give you more of an appreciation for the world around you. So you're, you're missing out if you 
if you decide not to listen to it, you know, it's, it gives you, it's a window in, into somebody else's mind. Do you have a favorite window to look into? And by that, I mean a, a favorite composer. Uh, mostly I listen to Bach and Beethoven and, and uh, Shostakovich. Cool. Now uh, also a uh, rock as well. Huh. See, I don't know the, those last two names. I've heard of Rachmaninoff. Uh, the, the third name you mentioned, I had not I had not heard of him before. But, Shostakovich. Uh, yeah. Shostakovich. I'll have to Google that. Now, I, I don't know, AOP, if you've listened to any episodes of this podcast before, but the intro music is Ride of the Valkyries by Wagner. Wagner, yeah. The, uh, the transition Fantastic. music. <laughs> the transition between segments is Vivaldi's Four Seasons. Oh, which, which movement? Winter. Oh, it's the best it's, one. It's a little yeah. bit from Winter. And then yeah. towards the I love end. it. There you go. You're, you're, you're educating your audience. <laughs> Highly recommend when we're done with this, go listen to the entire four seasons. It is fantastic. I will second that. I will second that. It's, I mean, for me, it's terrific study music and it's just good music to get my brain in that right space. Um, have have you just, had Joey the Cypreneur on? Have you had Joey on? I have not had Joey on, no. Okay, so me and him, we did this discussion in Masterclass. We just did this about how music with lyrics is very distracting as well. And you were just mentioning that with Vivaldi. That music, if you're going to list trying to get work done, listen to classical music, something that is not obtrusive. It's going to help you keep momentum, keep you focused, especially if you're in a room with a lot of noise. Uh, highly recommend listening to classical music while you're trying to get stuff done. It will help you be more productive second that i second that but listen to aop because he knows a lot more about it than i do but i do love some classical music that's awesome that is awesome <laughs> all right let's go into the rapid fire questions then what was the last material object or personal luxury that you spent a hundred dollars or more on aop and and the potential bonus question i know art can be expensive and so do you happen to own any any nice art and and what what might that piece actually look like that's a good question. I just own musical. I'm not an artist, right? So, yep, yep. right. I own musical instruments that are worth a lot more than a hundred dollars. So I'm a musician. So mm. my, my wife is an artist, right? So I, most of our, the, our house has her art inside of it. So I don't spend money on art. It would be nice to be like at some point where I can spend, you know, a good amount of money on you know some fine art i have i do have favorite artists but no i do not have art in my house so um what did i last spend a hundred dollars plus on i recently purchased a macbook pro m1 chip fantastic purchase by the way that is exactly what i'm talking to you with right now is through my m1 macbook pro i love it best computer i've ever owned by far Yes, fantastic. I'm looking uh, forward for them to come out with the uh, with a new, larger version iMac, which will be fantastic. Gotcha. Out of curiosity, what's your preferred musical instrument? I would say my preferred musical instrument, I like them all. Really, I love the cello. Like if I had to listen to somebody play an instrument, I would pick the cello. Awesome. Would it, would it be Yo-Yo Ma or do you have another favorite cellist? It could be Yo-Yo Ma. It could be anyone, really. I love the cello. It's got that warm sound to it. It's just like literally the perfect instrument. The other instrument that I love is the bassoon. It's got like this quirky, absolute, uh, just beautiful, unique sound. It sounds like it's something from like two, three hundred years ago. Huh. I, I'll have to Google a bassoon. I'm not sure I can uh, picture the way it sounds. I know it's a, a reed instrument, right? Like a giant clarinet. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very large. It's like a giant <laughs> oboe, really. Actually. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, next, let's go to the next question. What's a good habit that you're trying to form, or potentially a bad habit that you are trying to break? A good habit that I'm trying to form. Well, 
I guess a good habit that I'm trying to form is when you're an entrepreneur, you need to be very consistent and disciplined throughout your day to take, you know, to just knock a lot of stuff out. So, you know, wake up in the morning, write a to-do list, go right through it, knock out everything, be very disciplined with how I work with my time. So I, I think I need to be a little bit more organized overall. That's a great one. Uh, what's your favorite financial tool or app or service and why? I think that the app that everybody should have on their phone is the mint.com app. Fantastic app that will track your net worth. Wonderful. I, I think that wealth is defined from a net worth perspective overall. And if you're getting going to get serious about building a net worth, you need to track it. Like if you're gonna get serious about losing weight or tracking or wanting to get more fit, you need to weigh yourself every day. So if you're going to get serious about building a net worth, you need to download an app and keep track of it and try to get those numbers moving in the right direction. Excellent. I definitely support budgeting apps. That's a great answer. Oh, it's not a budgeting app. It's a net worth tracking app. I see. Now, when I used Mint though, at the time, you could use it this, for budgeting. I yeah, guess. yeah. It, it was a few years ago, and I think I had I had some some sub. Maybe I was just using it for sub accounts, and I would kind of delegate yeah. money into various sub accounts. But yeah, tracking tracking. You know, my favorite saying here is, uh, "You can't manage what you don't measure," and right. So measuring right. your net worth, just like you said, or just like measuring your weight every single day, that's how you're going to start managing it and improving it. And last one, AOP. If you had a billboard. And you could put on any message to share with the world, what would you say? All right. So if I were to have something on a billboard, I would have always be improving, always be looking to improve every single day, wake up, crush your day, go at it and always help other people as well improve. So if you see somebody who's like working out at the gym, give them a, give them a, you know, a good vibe, give good vibes. I'm really big into people trying to help themselves and improve their lives. Always be improving. AOP, I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing your thoughts with us here on the Best Interest Podcast. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for having me on. And if you want to check out Create 24-7, please click the links, send me an email or find me on Twitter at, at Creation 24-7. I'll be more than happy to answer any of your questions that you have about Create 24-7 or Masterclass. Again, Jesse, Thanks for having me on today. Absolutely. And everybody, all those links will be in the show notes. Go check out AOP. Thanks, man. Talk to you soon. I appreciate it, man. AOP, thank you again for coming on to episode 24 of the Best Interest Podcast. Listeners, if you want to get a hold of AOP or follow him, his Twitter account is in the show notes. And so are the links to his book, create 24 7 and to his master class if you want to reach out to me my email is jesse at bestinterest.blog or you can follow me on twitter where my username is bestinterest underscore jc if you found this content valuable and you want to give back i have three options for you and it's all free always absolutely free option one subscribe to the best interest podcast from the app you're listening to right now Option two, leave a rating of the Best Interest Podcast, or option three, leave a review. Tell me what you think. For example, BH said, Jesse has a way with words. He brings complex ideas to life in an interesting way for someone like me, who usually falls asleep at the first mention of finance. He balances beginner topics with more specific niche ones we should probably all be aware of. I'm a big fan. Thank you, BH. I appreciate those kind words because we can continue to invest in one another, just like Ben Franklin said. An investment in knowledge pays the best interest. Sharing with others, that's investing in their knowledge. So thank you all for listening to episode 24 of the Best Interest Podcast. 